welcome back to another episode of Dr. Me First. It's me, your colleague in medicine, coach in life, queen of burnout, throwing in a little sass there, Dr. freaking Aaron Wiseman. I got to practice what I preach. I'm a recovering workaholic and rest is my detox. <laughs> so my team is pushing me to try to do more rest. I have really been invigorated since I got my new office and my podcasting equipment set up back full time. It's been so fun to be podcasting again and doing live episodes. But they're reminding me too that I'm overworking. So we are problem solving this. And in order to do that, we are doing a reboot showcase. All my work that I've done in the past, I might as well reuse it, right? Recycle, reduce, reuse. And so what we're going to do in this reboot showcase is take old podcast episodes that I've actually been on for other people and play them here on Dr. Me First. It makes me smile a little bit as I go back and listen to years ago when I was doing some of these podcasts. And I'm like, wow, I was really smart. I knew a whole lot of things. But I also see how I've changed and how things are different. <laughs> In the world of Aaron Wiseman, we call it, is it long-haired Aaron or short-haired Aaron? Because <laughs> you can definitely see a big change when the hair got lopped off during the pandemic. So listen to the episodes and then see if you can tell when I did that episode on the timeline of everything Aaron Wiseman. Long-haired Aaron, short-haired Aaron. Give me an email. I'd love to hear about it. I'm going to take my own medicine. I'm going to rest a little bit, and I'm still going to pop up episodes for you to listen to. So enjoy this reboot today. And as always, friend, remember, your life, your calling, your pulse absolutely matters. And the badass in me honors the freaking badass in you. Enjoy. Trailblazers Changing Medicine, episode number four. Trailblazers Changing Medicine is a podcast brought to you by Green Cloud Apparel, a company committed to bringing out the courage and confidence of women in medicine. And now your hosts, Dr. Lori Boge and Dr. Dina George. Lori, Lori, we are back at it. I am so excited. Another one. Episode number four with Dr. Aaron Wiseman. Oh, Aaron, what an amazing person. So we just had the joy of spending the weekend with some green cloud fans and amazing humans. What are your takeaways? I mean, I just took away so much. I left excited and full of energy and it was just a great time and opportunity to hang out with, with there were nine of us together, nine women. We all cleared our schedule for a long weekend and just really enjoyed each other's company. We had great conversations. We had amazing hikes, incredible food. I mean, lots of laughs. Like this is what we need. So if you haven't done anything like that in a long time, like since we did slumber parties as children, right? I think you should make the time, invite 
close friends and just get away for a weekend because it was really empowering. It was so much fun. It was fun. And it it highlights how different each of the nine women are and that we could come together and really create magic and create rejuvenation and enjoyment and have time for rest too. Yeah. I can't believe. I can't believe everything we did in three days, but then also leaving feeling rested and rejuvenated, mostly just because of the great company. And it was just so much fun. So what's happening in Green Cloud these days? So we have the biggest warehouse sale going on where we just decided we we placed our fall, winter, spring order. We have so many amazing things coming that we decided we need, we want and need to clear out space. And we want everything we have now on women in medicine. So we just decided... This is the opportunity for everyone that hasn't tried Green Cloud to give it a try at an incredible price. And for those of you that have tried it, grab what you love because there's not much left and it's going to go quick, but but it's an opportunity to get more. Yeah. The distribution center needs some room. Yeah. Yeah. With everything we just ordered. Yes. But that just means it's going to be so much fun uh, in a few months from now when it starts arriving. You know, so the interesting thing is that that women know Green Cloud, but know Green Cloud for scrubs and mm-hmm. not for the other cool things. Like, what are the other cool things that are offered? Well, yeah, you know, and that's part of, of course, we're a scrub company, but we really wanted that uniform to multiform. So we made these really fun tanks that are great under the scrubs or by themselves, under a jean jacket, whatever. I mean, I sleep in them, I run in them. I wear them with jeans. I wear them under my scrubs. So they're very versatile and they'll become your favorite uh, tank top. So the tanks for sure. And we have so many different colors. The socks have the power words on them, like be kind and love wins and good luck. All the things we want to remind ourselves of when we're working or running. They're great running socks too, but they're, you know, they'll keep your feet warm during a shift. The jackets are a lot of fun and I, you know, design them uh, where they can be worn, you know, on a hike, on a bike ride, at work, uh, really anytime. So I monogram a few of mine because I do wear them in the hospital. It's like wearing a little blanket, but then I also leave some unmonogrammed because I do want to wear them outside of work and I don't necessarily want people to see Dr. Lori, you know, so I leave some of them unmonogrammed, but that's an option to do. And the sweatshirts are just a lot of fun. They're made from bamboo, super soft material. They're not too thick. They're not too thin. Uh, We manufacture those in New York um, and we put fun words around the collar. So those are super special too. And you definitely don't need to be in medicine to wear those. Uh, You know, I kind of giggle when I wear like the be kind one in the ER, just to kind of remind my patients, (laughs) I'll be kind too, but I want them to be kind back. Or, you know, they have doctor, we have nurse, we have no thanks to kind of remind ourselves that we need to say no to others and more yeses to ourselves. So yeah, there's a lot of fun things outside of the scrubs to check out, especially during the sale. You know, I think about the sweatshirt. There's one that says lifesaver Mm -hmm. for all the lifesavers in our lives, Our, our caretakers, caregivers, nannies, friends. Like yeah. All the women in our lives, they they are lifesavers. Yeah. They help us keep going. 
No, it's a perfect gift for so many different people just to show your appreciation for what they've done. Yeah. But it, it, you know, it takes a team for us to be able to work full-time in medicine, be a full-time mom, full-time wife, full-time anything else. So we, we all desperately need help. And it's, it's a nice way to give back to them to show how much they're appreciated. So it turns out that people actually want to get to know you, you, Lori Boge, the person. <laughs> so let's start with what's the best advice you've ever received? I think the best advice I've ever received was really learning to say no thanks, honestly. Because to get to where I got in medicine and life, I had to say a lot of yeses, right? So in your teens, 20s, even early 30s, you may not even have an option to say no, right? You need to be published. You need to, as a med student, you know, say yes to everything to get that residency spot. In residency, you're, you know, trying to be chief resident or you're going for your first job or fellowship. There's so you you have to say a lot of yeses. And then at some point though, when you've kind of earned where you are, it's time to really focus in on what's important to you and start saying a lot of no's. So that may be late 30s, that may be early 40s, maybe it's earlier for some, but it was probably my late 30s when I had no idea how to say no and I desperately needed to learn to do it. So I don't want, you know, everyone to just start saying no to everything because, you know, there's a time and place and and there's great opportunities that you just don't want to say no to, but really think about what's important to you and then just if it doesn't align with that, no thanks. You're probably good at a lot of different things and, you know, they they may be great opportunities but maybe just not for you. So that was that a piece of advice. I was like, "Wait, I should say no. I should be saying no to things. And it it was a game changer for my health and happiness, honestly. So let the answer be no and let it be enough. Yep. No is a full sentence. Yeah. Save the yeses for those things that really bring you joy and really ignite the, the fire in your soul. Yes. Like a weekend girls trip. All right. Last question. Mm-hmm. What do you love about your dog? Oh my goodness. He's just such a loving <laughs> creature. At the dog park, he has to go and say hello to every single dog and person in there before he'll like start playing. And he's just, oh, he's my soulmate. You know this. Yeah, he's such a sweetie. His name is Meb and he loves Lori. <laughs> <laughs> Anywhere that Lori is, is where Meb wants to be, at least in my short time. Yeah. That saying man's best friend, mm-mm, mm-mm. maybe, but women's best friend too. All right. Shall we move on to our talk with Aaron? Yes. I cannot wait for this. I'm so excited. Hi, Aaron. Bye, Lori. Bye. It's a joy. It's an honor to introduce you to Dr. Aaron Wiseman. She is known for so many things. My favorite nickname for her is the queen of sass. And you're going to learn a lot about her and how she really is a trailblazer. Please introduce yourself. Dr. Dina George, thank you so much for having me today. Like she said, I'm Erin Wiseman, DO, representing osteopathic medicine here. I am the queen of burnout and sass, mother of dragons, keeper of the Amazon, 
survivor of the burnout and now changing the world one person at a time, I hope. I practice family medicine and addiction medicine here in rural southwestern Indiana. I raise alpacas and three wise men children. <laughs> and, and I just, I do a lot of things. I'm just super eclectic and I love that about myself. I used to think is I just had poor attention span, but what I realized is I just have a really big heart and I just love on a lot of different things. So if somebody sees your life today and says, you've got this amazing podcast, which you do, and over 100,000 downloads, you are a keynote speaker, you have a job that you love, you have a family you love, they're going to say that it's always been this way. Mm. Can you dispel some myths about the journey? <laughs> of course I can. And, and the rules that you've had to break to blaze a new trail. <sighs> Where do I even start? My journey is long and twisty, super long and twisty. And so what you are seeing today is the pretty middles, but it, it was in a really ugly, dark place way back when. So about 10 years ago, 2014, I was a fresh attending out, you know, because family medicine, we kept saying it was going to get better. It's going to get better, right? When you graduated residency, I was one of those headstrong, crazy, resilient. I don't know what you want to call it, but I ended up having two babies in residency. My first one, my first year, like within the first four months of starting and my second kiddo in my third year. And to me, it was just going to be another thing to, you know, check off the list. Uh, medical degree check, wedding, marriage check, children check, house check, practice check. And what I realized as I was doing those things and checking off the checklist, it, it didn't make me feel any different. I don't, if anything, I was feeling worse. And I didn't really have a name for it. But when I got into my big girl job to pay off all my loans, within weeks, I was like, holy, this is going to be the next 30 years of my life. Where is my, it's going to get better through stubborn headedness or what I was like, nope, I am, I'm just going to figure this out. And I did what I tell all my patients not to do, which was got on Google. And I found other doctors who were describing feelings of numbness and that they were switching to big pharma jobs or inventing things or um, hustling so they could make a lot of money and, you know, get out of medicine. I am in small town USA. We got about 12,000 people in the whole county. I was the only female physician. I had two little kids. I had a scared farmer husband at home because I was like, I can't do this. I can't, I can't continue to practice medicine. And I remember what Mr. Dr. Wiseman told me. He was like, what is it about it? And I just didn't even have the words to describe how I was feeling how I was feeling about medicine, how I was just feeling about life. And what I know now, of course, 10 years flashing forward, is that I was in the complete pit of burnout. I was numb. And when I wasn't numb, I was having these huge explosions of anger and frustration and just thought tornadoes whirling of anxiety and just invasive thoughts that I was just like, holy, like I've worked my whole life for this and I feel horrible. And I didn't feel like I had anybody who was like me that I could talk to. My partners were older white men with stay-at-home wives. 
my med school friends were either feeling the same way I were, or they're like, what are you talking about, Wiseman? Like, life is good. Like, we made it. And I was just, it was very, 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 very lonely and very, very dark is the best way to describe that period of my life. And so I was carefully and quietly planning my exit from medicine. I was applying to work at Toyota Motors to build vehicles. I applied at a local bank for a um, VP of marketing position. (laughs) I would have worked at the local farm store taking care of chicks at that point. I was that desperate because I just, I knew something needed to change. And the only anchor that I had in this world were the two little boys sitting on the couch watching Paw Patrol while I silently sobbed in my bedroom because I didn't know what I was going to do. So if you compare that point on the map to where we are now, I look back and I look at that woman and I, I want to hug her. I want to send all the love to her and just tell her like, you f- did it. Like you got out of that place that was so dark and so scary to now really just crafting the life that I was so desperate for 10 years ago. Can we talk about the rules that you had to break? And and by rules, I mean like the cultural rules, right? So number one is you're going to be in one job for the rest of your life. Yes. Yes. It was like, I want to do real medicine. I did family medicine so that I could do cradle to grave. I was going to go to the hospital and circ babies. I was going to go to the nursing home and be with people on their deathbed and everything in between. And I was going to do it in this community where we plan to raise our children and where we farm. And that was what I was going to do. And when I got into that and I realized I was going to have to break that rule, it, it shattered me. It was everything that I had built up. And when reality did not meet expectation, I, I really didn't know what to do. So I did what I could do best, which was try to make shifts. Like I changed my clinic days around a little bit. I played with my hours. You know, I tried different dictation software to go faster. You know, all the little things that were like, okay, if I can just find like that fix, then things are going to be better. I did them all until I finally went into my chief medical officer's office. I had arranged a meeting. It took like seven weeks to get on his calendar. And I went in with my portfolio of like, these are the changes that I, you know, plan A through ZZ I had made of different changes. And I also went in with my checkbook because I was like, and if he doesn't make these changes, Craig, like I'm writing the check to pay back that sign-on bonus and I'm done. Like that's how serious I went into that meeting. I wish I could say that meeting went better. It was like a pat on the head and like, you're going to be okay and we'll work with you. But nothing actually came out of it. The reality, what I came out of it that I can name now is no one's coming to save you, Aaron. No one's coming to save you. And when you're in a desperate spot, that was really, that was devastating. But now I say that from a positive way, like no one's coming to save you. So like you get to step into that power and you get to make the changes you see. So rule number two, medicine's the only thing you can do. Medicine was the only thing I would do. I spent my life doing it. I had said since I was like a junior high student that I was going to be either a country doctor or I was going to be a missionary. And I was really going to help people. You know, I wasn't going to like do boobs and bellies. I was like really going to help people and like the salt of the earth. And, and that was everything I had trained for. And when the reality came in, like this 
prestigious career was slowly killing me, quite literally, in my brain, I didn't know what to do. Like, what else can doctors do? Like, we spend all this time, like, in training and, like, in anatomy labs, thinking, like, formaldehyde and, like, doing rotations and, you know, sneaking food out of the doctors. I was like, what else, what else can we do? But that was when there's so many breakthroughs and we can talk through that. What do you know now? I know now that I'm not a doctor, that I'm a healer and I can heal in so many different ways. And it does not have to be inside of a doctor's office. It doesn't have to be using a stethoscope or an EMR or anything that I was really put on this world to heal and help people. And once I identified it wasn't what I do, but who I am, that really helped open that up. And what I saw at that time is I was working with my first ever coach. Shout out to Philippa Keneally. She is like the OG of physician coaching. Went on her website. I bought her program that was all in Word documents. I was like, I don't know what this lady has, but I need some. And I started talking to her. And after the first couple sessions, revealing that like I'm a healer and that I can heal in more than one ways that are outside of small town USA. I was like, I think I need to be a coach because like, where's all the like young female physician coaches? Like we needed this shit like 20 years ago. And when I realized I could heal through coaching, that I could heal through going first, which is one of my powers. <laughs> I don't care to stand up and say, say what I want to say and lead the charge. And that I could do that in a lot of different ways through the magic of the internet. That really empowered me and gave me the confidence that, okay, this is a job to pay the bills right now, but I'm working towards something else. So the next rule is you have to stay in one job for a very long time. Yeah. Like the expectation is you, you are hired and retire, right? Like I think of my dad who is still with the same company as when I was a little kid type of thing. And he's, he's actually retiring here in about, I think he told me the other day, 47 days, you know, like that's the expectation. Like that's loyalty. That's, that's who I am. Like I commit to things. And what I realized from the place that I had first hired on is it, it wasn't a fit. It was a little toxic too. I needed something else. Can you share with the audience the number of jobs you went through? Because our goal is really to share what a true trailblazer, what that journey looks like. It is not <laughs> linear, logical, or goal-directed, and it doesn't feel good a lot of the time. Oh, it feels horrible. It feels horrible. It feels, you know, another rule is you don't want to have too many jobs on your CV, right? Because then that's <laughs> going to make you look bad. Well, let me tell you. Okay, so my journey, and these did not happen linearly. Some of them were simultaneously. Some of them I like tried for a couple months and then I left. Like, so here we go. Outpatient family medicine, rural emergency ER, teledoc before teledoc was cool. Mm, coaching, of course, was along this whole thing. So I was, I started coaching in 2015, 2014, 2015. Jail doctor, call coverage. I did a stint as a medical director for the medicine side for an adult elderly psychiatric hospital, PRN residency faculty, MAT provider. Actually, I applied to that job 
And the first day I went in, I walked out because I was like, this is not a good place. So I don't know if you count as I really got hired there because I really actually never worked. There's got to be some other ones. Several. Let's just say I tried several things. But the point was what I realized going into all these different things is that I was going to learn something. I was going to learn something about myself. I was going to learn what I didn't want to do so that on the steps forward, I got more clear and refined on what I wanted to do. And so it was really interesting. Of those jobs I listed, emergency medicine taught me that I can do really fucking tough things and I'm good at it. Because I think I had lost a little bit of my confidence when I had gone through burnout as an outpatient family medicine doc. Like I lost that like significance feeling. And then when I was putting tubes in people and diagnosing like pretty dangerous things, it, it, like, it reminded me like, no, you know things and you can do this. The jail job was what really ignited my passion for substance use disorder population and taking care of people again who are at the bottom, like really truly suffering. The teledoc job taught me that I hate working from home. Like I need people interaction, like real life people interaction. I did it and I trudged through it. I hated it though. I did not like working exclusively from, from home. The residency job reminded me that I do love teaching, but I don't like it full time. And I don't, I don't like all the ACGME kind of bullshit that you have to do. Like, give me some straight up teaching. Don't make me fill out paperwork. I'm good with that. Which all, honestly, it primed the pump for me for the opportunity that I'm in now that I 100% can foresee doing the rest of my life. I can actually say that I hope that I die at my desk at this job. I love this job that much. And for the listeners to know, this is years that you're going mm-hmm. through. This was eight and a half years. Can you speak about the emotions that came up and, and what the fuel was to keep going? <laughs> sometimes that's a long sometimes journey. it was fear. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> sometimes it was, holy shit, mom has got to go make some money or we're not going to be able to pay the bills. Now, luckily... Mr. Dr. Wiseman, I mean, there were times he was like scrapping old metal on the farm and, you know, we, we pinched pennies and we made it through so that I didn't have to work like a dog in medicine to make it happen. And I can successfully say the kids never ate cat food. We never lost the lights. We never got behind on our mortgage. Thank the universe for all of that. Like we figured it out, but there were a lot of weeks where it was like, okay, we got $30 in the checking account. And there was a lot of, there was fear behind that. There was fear for the acute situation, but there was also fear in my heart of like, am I ever going to find my fit? And that one was the scariest one. That one was the one that kept me up at night that, you know, maybe there wasn't a place for me in this world. I was just going to have to like settle or figure it out. And that's not my personality whatsoever. So many of us isolate and we blame ourselves. There's something wrong with me. In that eight-year journey, how did you, did it come up for you? And and what was your process? Oh, yeah. And that's what I was going to say is the other emotion besides fear. How I found to combat that was through my internet friends. Hashtag online friends or real friends was during that time, because remember, I'm the only female doc. I'm the youngest by at least 20 years, maybe 25 years. 
was <laughs> we didn't even have internet. I had to go to the library or hotspot off my phone, found groups of people who were like me too, and realized that where I was at, that I really truly wasn't alone. And so it was, it was finding you, Dina. It was finding so many other women out there who were having similar enough struggles that we could sit in the suck together, but then also be reminded of how magnificent and how brilliant you are in that Yes, it is in the absolute 100% muck and shit and awfulness right now. You, you can get through this. And even if you don't, I always knew that my internet friends, I could text and I could say like, things are bad, you know, and, and I would get help. I would get help, even though it was a hit to my pride, but that it was going to be okay. And it was through community. It was through connection, honestly, that that got me through those really rough times. And then it was also figuring out my own shit along the way too. But I could only do that from a place of safety and security. Going and finally sitting down and working through traumas in my life, finally acknowledging that like, hey, I do have anxiety and I have suffered from depression and and like store-bought serotonin is just good just as good as real serotonin and like there's there's another rule that you know real doctors don't take medication like we just hustle through it and we don't ask for help and like we 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 tell the state boards that we're fine and that we have no problems because we're superheroes and we don't have any feelings and we don't need feelings because we're doctors and so during that time being around people who are like no i have that problem too and actually i felt a lot better and working with people I were coaching. And I was like, you know what? If I'm referring these people to therapists and psychiatrists, like I got I to gotta belly up to the bar and I got to do it too. And that was a big, big turnaround point as well to receive the help that I so freely give to patients to say like, absolutely, absolutely, I can help you. Because if your PHQ-9 score is higher than the people sitting in front of you, friend, you need to get some things taken care of. So the next rule is you have to earn a doctor's salary. Mm. Oh, yes. Another rule that kind of goes bellies right up to that is um, you have to pay off your student loans in 10 years. Like that was a really hard rule in my brain that I was like, so I came from a family, there was no college savings. It was like, kid, you better get scholarships because there's not anything extra for you. Um, So I knew entering into college and then going to grad school, like it was all on me. And so the rule that I had put on myself was like, you're going to make the money and you're going to get your loans paid off and you're going to follow Dave Ramsey to the T because he is God and he knows what all this about finances and you need to do it. And what I realized was, is that the income was really a set of golden handcuffs and it was keeping me in a place that was really unhealthy for me just because I was trying to meet these arbitrary goals of getting my loans paid off in 10 years. And I, I don't think Dave Ramsey's hundred percent wrong, but he wasn't right for me when we were going through all of this. We did luckily have a good emergency fund, which that's one of the things he talks about, but like the whole debt snowball when you're, I was a little over $200,000 in debt that's a long slog to do <laughs> a debt snowball and not, I took it to the extreme as well. Like 
we were paying a lot of money down on loans because it just felt like a huge heavy weight. And so it was rewriting the rule of like, it's okay to have debt. Like you don't have to make yourself suffer because you have debt. But I also had a lot of emotions around quitting medicine and changing my roles in medicines while still having debt too, that I had to rewrite and to relearn about as well. The thing with you have to make a doctor's salary if you have a doctor degree, it took me a long time, but I finally realized it's like, no, you have to make enough money to live, whatever that looks like. You know, luckily we do live in a rural area. We do grow a lot of our stuff. We do process a lot of our own proteins. And so our cost of living really isn't very high. So why am I pushing to make multiple six figures in the long run when we maybe really need to make, and we did at times like $60,000, $50,000? Lots of different things that you had to overcome, how you identify what you have put into your degree and what you expect to receive from it. And it sounds like giving yourself lots of permission to not follow other people's paths. Dina, you know, I followed no one's path. (laughs) (laughs) You know, a big part of that was in 2017, I discovered the work of Dr. Kristen Neff about self-compassion. I wish younger Aaron had had been taught self-compassion because my whole life, I, I had always used negative self-talk as a motivator. Like you can run faster, you can go harder, you can stay up later to do your, to study. I played collegiate athletics and that was definitely a part of it too. But what that negative self-talk turned into was the only voice, was the only motivator that I had and it got super cancerous. And I was really resistant at first to self-compassion. Well, I'll say I was mixed. I wanted self-compassion, but I was afraid if I started practicing self-compassion that I would lose my edge and I would get soft because I'm not a soft person. I am a fierce person. And so it's taken years and years and years and years and years, (laughs) several years. But now I realize like you can be nice to yourself and you can still kick ass and take names. For sure. And still be motivated and get the work done Mm -hmm. and have less heavy baggage. Mm Mm-hmm. So I think that was probably a big, a big part as well in my journey is learning to be nice to myself because I'm real nice to other people, but I was so mean to me. What was it like? So just thinking of a huge turnaround, which was, she was on your podcast. What was Mm -hmm. it like to talk with her? It was a starstruck moment. I'm not going to lie. It was one of those when she said yes to come on Dr. Me first. One, I felt so extremely grateful to someone who didn't even know me, whose book has radically changed my inner workings. It also kind of inflated my ego a little bit, like I've made it. (laughs) (laughs) Not going to lie, but she's an incredible person and a great researcher. And if any part of my story resonates, go check out her website. She has so many free resources in addition to her books and her courses and and all the things, but self-compassion, that is a huge, huge dose that we all need to take like IV Q2 hours. Because you were willing to go through the pit of despair and feeling alone and not knowing the path and feeling all the emotions, which I imagine are guilt, shame, fear, doubt, uncertainty, 
and all of their brothers and sisters. What has that helped you become and help you now offer to others? I'm definitely not one of those people who said like, oh, I'm so thankful for this experience. I would not wish this on my worst enemy, tribulations and trials that I've gone through. From this experience, I have become a kinder, I have become a more thoughtful person and less rigid. I feel like a more refined Aaron freaking Wiseman who I don't have a shaky foundation anymore. We all have a little bit of imposter syndrome in it, but mine is like, it's pretty small now. <laughs> I have literally, you know, rose from the ashes because my burnout was that, that detrimental to my spirit and my soul that I know that I can, I can do whatever life throws at me in the, in the future. And, and if I can't, I do have the resources of other people, of, of so many other skills and tips and everything that medicine has to offer and everything that the world has to offer that, that I no longer locked into doing it just myself. When I think of you, I, th- I think of you as a beacon of light and you hold up the light for others so that they can see a little bit more or a little more clearly. Can you share with us the different beacons that you hold, meaning the different areas that you have offerings for people? Absolutely. So I'm, I'm proud. They're all like my little, my children, you know, that <laughs> as I think about it, all the things that I do is, is like my, my little collection of my little things. So my original first beacon of light was just starting to do coaching. And I initially had named it truth prescriptions because I was, you know, this was back when like Instagram was just getting going and, and all that kind of stuff. So I was making these little squares and putting them out there with like little truth bombs on them. And so I called it truth prescriptions at the time because I thought, you know, it's quippy. And also I didn't want my name on the internet yet. So, you know, you got to hide behind a facade. But it was where I was just starting to like say the things that I thought other people were probably thinking, but nobody was actually speaking into the world. That became, um, just grew and grew and grew. And now my beacon of light that came out of that is Dr. Me First. Like you mentioned, it is a syndicated podcast that is over 400 episodes and so much knowledge and goodness and grit in it as well. There's a book that goes along with Dr. Me First that you can get on Amazon that I wrote several years ago now. I think about five or six years ago. That was the workbook that I thought I really needed when I was in the middle of burnout. I wasn't seeing coaching tools that were geared towards physicians, so I wrote it. Another beacon of light that that I'm super passionate about is called Burnt Out to Badass because that's truly what I exhibit and flash that sassy light out into the world. It's coaching, it's online education, it's speaking. It's also a podcast because podcasts are like tattoos. Like once you get one, you kind of want to get some more. And right now, probably my biggest beacon on the hill, my lighthouse is Physician Coaching Alliance. Back in 2018, I was starting to see all of us lone wolves out in the woods of coaching. And we're all trying to make a difference. And I was like, you know what? We don't have to do this alone. And like starting to see like the cool kid table develop. And I was like, Mm-mm, not doing that junior high crap again. Like we're all coming to the table. And so I just invited a lot of 
random people who I thought were super cool and I wanted to be their friends to a Zoom meeting that we initially called Coaching Circle just for support and community. And what it has developed into is a platform and organization that supports people who want coaching. It supports physician coaches, and it also supports organizations, practices, and medical staffs who want to up their game in wellness. It's legit. I mean, we have a statistician that collects all our data. We have an accountant who issues all of our pay stubs. We've got an attorney who does all of our contracts, and I get to sign on the bottom line as the CEO. And it's it's really showing healthcare like, hey, we don't need to throw ourselves on the fire and burn. Like we can fix healthcare, but first we must take care of ourselves. And I'm specifically doing that by rallying coaches and rallying organizations to embrace this and take care of their most important capital, which is their people. And then your newest beacon of light is offering hope and healthcare to those struggling with suffering from addiction. Absolutely it is. Yeah. So the job, the job that I want to die at my desk from, I was searching back in, it was COVID. So 2020, yeah, 2020, I had actually left the job at the residency because I was trying to homeschool three kids and we were, um, I was still, you know, practicing clinically. I was doing the medical directorship at that psychiatric hospital. And it was just like too much, you know, and then the world, of course, was imploding around us with this crazy virus. Um, And so I had taken several months off from the residency and from practicing. And it was one of those that like, it was like, okay, it's time for mommy to go back and, you know, make some money. And so I was on Indeed, actually, just looking around, seeing like, okay, what next? What what do I, what do I want to go back to something that I did before or, or what's available And I came across a job posting that was looking for a nurse practitioner for an FQHC, not about 25 minutes away from my house. So not far um, by rule standards. It's in the town where we go to Walmart. Let's just put it that way. And I was like, well, if they want a nurse practitioner, they probably would really like a doctor. So I applied. Um, They called me the next day and we set up a phone meeting first to talk about and I knew I'd love that population. You know, I had done the jail job. I had done all the training to do medication assisting and addiction. And I knew the FQHC standpoint, which is a federally qualified health clinic, was definitely a place I wanted to be. Because the things I had learned from all those jobs was like, I'm never working for the almighty RVU again. I will never work full time. So I went into that telling them that I would work 16 hours a week. And they sweetened the deal. And so I ended up working 20 hours a week clinically. From all of that experience, I went in and I said like, hey, this is who I am. And by the way, I am a very sassy, mouthy physician coach. And you need to Google me before you... If you're thinking about offering me a job, you need to be okay with everything that's on the internet because that's not changing. I'm going to continue to speak. I'm going to continue to podcast because this is something that's very important to me. And I'll be damned. They offered me the job. (laughs) Even after all of that. Yeah, I, it'll be two years in August that I got to start and implement this clinic. We went from a staff of one, which was me, drawing blood, rooming patients, doing all the things, to I just hired my seventh staff member uh, this past month. And so we have grown and grown and grown. Yeah, I do primary care and I specifically 
focus in on folks who have substance use disorder, either personally or in their families. So here's another rule. You have to take what's offered. Can you, can mm. you talk about the, the boundaries you set with clarity about taking this, this rule? Yeah. And I want to remind people, the job that you want is not on Indeed. It's not in LinkedIn. It's within you. And you need to be very clear on what that is before you you try to, because I'm a square-shaped peg who has tried to fit in round holes for most of her life. That And it doesn't feel good. It does not feel good. So it's really important to define your square peg and then be able to vocalize it with firmness, but also with clarity for people so that there's nothing to be scared about. It just is what it is. Yeah. Asking, asking for what I want, you know, who goes into a job interview and says, I'm going to work 16 hours a week. (laughs) I did. Who's going to go into a job interview and say, like, I will not be on call more than once or twice a quarter. I did. Who goes into a job interview and says, um, I know my worth and um, you're not paying me by piddly FQHC standards of what other people get paid. Like it's it's not going to work. If I'm going to set this up and, you know, do this, I need the appropriate compensation. And I think it's just being really real and, and having the data and the evidence to support what you're wanting. You know, I didn't, I didn't ask for unicorns. I didn't ask for a Lamborghini. I just asked for what I know that I needed. And they met me there. How would you finish this? A trailblazer's life really looks like a trailblazer's life looks like uncertainty sprinkled in with a bunch of magic. What does every woman in medicine need to know? She needs to know that she's not alone, that right now is not her forever, for good or for bad, and that help is available for those who ask for it. Final thoughts, my friend. It's just so good to sit here and talk to you. I hope that this inspires other people to blaze their own trail, no matter how crazy it feels, no matter how off the map. I would have never guessed that a small town girl from rural Southern Indiana is now a thought leader in the space of physician wellness, retainment, recruitment into feminism and medicine, but she is. And whatever that crazy thought is that you have, it's not crazy. Just keep working on it. You'll have to do the shitty first draft, and then you'll have to revise it and revise it and revise it. And you're going to have all the feelings, and you're going to go through the whole gamut, but you're tough, and you can do it. Where can people find you? Everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) You can Google my name. It's Aaron with two R's. Wiseman is we is man. That'll pull up probably Dr. Me First. That'll pull up Physician Coaching Alliance. That'll pull up Burnt Out to Badass. If you like listening to me, come over and listen to my podcast first. I hang out on Instagram under my name. So drop me a message there. Anywhere else, it's my team members. And they're great. Don't get me wrong. But I limit my social media exposure because I want to have real conversations. So I have a Slack group called Aaron Wiseman's Badass Slack Group. (laughs) Because... Other places are too noisy. And so it's where we have real conversations. It's where we have a lot of fun. We share pictures. It's exactly what I want it to be. Thank you so much, my friend. Absolutely. Thank you.
Hey there, I got some really important stuff to share with you. Besides developing Dr. Me First over the last, I don't know, I think it's like seven or eight years now, and Burnt Out to Badass, which is a little bit newer, it's been going on for about three to four years, I've actually been developing another business kind of on the side, and a lot of you folks are surprised when you hear about it. It's called Physician Coaching Alliance, and it does a lot of amazing things. First of all, if you're a chief wellness officer or you want to see more wellness in your organization, hospital, medical group, residency program, etc., Physician Coaching Alliance is your answer. We do consulting and coaching within organizations to bring better wellness into the healthcare space. So you need to go over to the website, physiciancoachingalliance.com, drop me an email with the organization, who I contact, who I talk to and we can come in and help your institution. The other part of Physician Coaching Alliance is for those who are looking for a personal coach. Of course, I would love to be your coach, but I also know that I'm not everybody's, well, taste and spicy sauce. Let's put it that way. So there we have a menu of over 70 coaches who specialize in so many different things, who come from different parts of medicine. Some people are in medicine. Some people are out of medicine. Some people are hybrid. It's just an amazing group of an eclectic amount of skills and personalities. I'm sure you can find your next coach there. So again, same website, physiciancoachingalliance.com. And lastly, if you are a coach and you're tired of going in alone, maybe you're in a slump, maybe you just want to be around other physician coaches who are willing to give and are over the hustle culture and not about competing with each other, but knowing that how we heal healthcare is better together, then also Physician Coaching Alliance is the place for you. PCA fulfills so many of these needs and more. It's all on the same website, physiciancoachingalliance.com. You can hang out with us on LinkedIn and on Instagram by the exact same name, physiciancoachingalliance.com. Yep, I've been busy. running multiple companies, practicing medicine, taking care of alpacas. But you know what? It is my heart and joy to do this. And I hope that PCA can become a part of your story too. Blinds and up.